Good evening. Good afternoon, buddy. Good evening. Good evening, evening. Katie. Hello. Good evening, baby Jasher. He's like, huh? Good evening. Yeah, he Kaya. stared at the microphone. We're going to take that as a hey. Um, we are back at House Church having our Friday night Bible study, and we're resuming our series on healing. We're getting close to being done. Really? So, yeah. Well, when I say close, I mean halfway. Okay. <laughs> so, I know it's taken a long time, but we've been dealing with some pretty big concepts in this series. Concepts that are, quite frankly, very misunderstood or even unknown by evangelicals. The other day I was reading and I came across somebody who held a lot of the same views that I did, but they didn't understand what dispensationalism really is, mm. you know? So they, they believed in a pre-trib rapture, they premillennial and that's great because we believe those things too, but right. they didn't really understand the whole kingdom offer concept. And we've been talking about that a lot during the series and how it ties into healing, uh, God's plan for Israel, the kingdom gospel, how that's going to be resumed after the rapture when the Jews repent. So we talked about a lot of this stuff last time we talked about tongues and discussed how in Isaiah uh, 28, there is this prophecy that has a dual fulfillment. So in Isaiah's day, it pertained to the kingdom of Israel being invaded by the Assyrians and um, the language of Assyrian was a foreign tongue. And when it was spoken in Israel, there was a sign there that they were going to be carried away into judgment by these foreigners. Hmm. And there's a story about how Rabshakeh, who was a representative of King Sennacherib, he comes before the walls of Jerusalem and he speaks um, in Aramaic or the Assyrian tongue. And so that may be actually a fulfillment of what Isaiah is talking about hmm. in Isaiah 28, when it discusses this foreign tongue, uh, the, the language of strangers, when you hear that spoken, it's a sign Right. The judgment's coming. And so Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about uh, how tongues is a sign not to believers, but to unbelievers. And then he quotes from Isaiah 28 to support that. So the unbelievers in both cases would be the Jewish people stubbornly disobeying God. And so just as God gave them a sign of a foreign language in Isaiah's day, he also gave them the sign of tongues in the new Testament. And so that was during that 40 year period between the ascension of Christ and the destruction of 70 AD. So that's another reason to believe why tongues ceased to be a part of the church. Generally, like we talked about last time, and I think Scott was the only person here, um, when right. we were having this lesson, but, um, we discussed how generally people will make a case against tongues being part of the church today by saying, well, tongues is a form of prophecy if it's interpreted and it is. Mm. Um, and so since prophecy is not a gift in the church today, it's on par with the gift of apostle. And both of those gifts were relegated to the foundational period of the church. Uh, we shouldn't expect to see prophecy and thus we shouldn't expect to see tongues. I think that's a good argument. It's a cascade argument. Mm -hmm. Samuel Waldron wrote a book that makes that argument. So I think it's a good one, but the dispensational argument just adds another layer to it and says that, yes, all of that's true. All of that's valid. 
But another reason why tongues was particular to that time period is because the Jews were going to be carried away into captivity. And before that happened, God was giving them a sign, a very special sign, and that was the sign of foreign languages. So that's tongues. So, of course, it served multiple purposes. If tongues was interpreted, then it was a prophecy that benefited the local church. Mm -hmm. But as far as the Jews are concerned, it was a sign of impending judgment. Will it come back during the tribulation? Um, I, I don't know, but I would suspect so. Yeah. Um, I think that pretty much, and this is just my opinion. I can't say which ones will be revived and which ones won't. I know that Joel chapter two, mm. Jamie, Jamie, be quiet, buddy. Be quiet. In Joel chapter two, it has a dual fulfillment. One fulfillment being first century Pentecost and also during the tribulation. Mm -hmm. So when it was fulfilled at Pentecost, tongues was specifically what Peter says is fulfilling the prophecy right. of Joel 2. So if it has a dual fulfillment, reasonably we could say that tongues will be revived when the 144,000 are preaching and when the Jews are listening to the two witnesses. So yeah, I do think that there's a good chance that tongues will be revived. At the very least, prophecy will. And uh, the sign gifts of healing... We talked about how in Matthew 4 and Luke 9, those passages, and you can see the slide on uh, the podcast, so you can go and you can see the exact verses. But uh, in those passages, it talks about how signs was connected to the kingdom, the kingdom message, which again is not being preached today. Mm. It won't be revived until after the rapture happens. So that again cements the idea that sign gifts and that special message to the Jews, they go together. So whenever the rapture happens, those sign gifts will once again be poured out upon those believing Jews. And it will be indication that, Hey, look, the time is ripe. The kingdom is at hand. Now you have an opportunity to do what you could have done back in the first century, mm -hmm. except this time we'll have a completely different result and the Jews will believe they will repent. And so, um, I think those signs will also be instrumental in reaching Gentiles. Just like Paul, was a Jew and he was going to Gentile areas and he was preaching the gospel and he was performing these miracles, you know, like his handkerchief, you know, being mm -hmm. used to heal people. Um, I think that the 144,000 will perform miracles like that. And it will result in many Gentiles during the tribulation coming to faith as well. That's another topic we could talk about on another day. I would like to address it because there are a lot of dispensationalists who believe that if you had a chance to believe before the rapture mm -hmm. and the rapture happens that you won't be given another chance. Yeah, I've heard that. I firmly disagree that. with that. Yeah. And I don't see any evidence for it. Uh, the one passage that's used in second Thessalonians does not support that viewpoint. So to me, it's more of a traditional thing. I think it's just been heard so often that people think that that's what the passage well, that means. Is, that and the, the Holy spirit leaves, right. goes up with the church is the thought. Yeah. But I mean, the Holy spirit's always been necessary for people to believe conviction drawing. Right. And if anybody gets saved at all, um, Jews, you yeah. know, the Jews, they're going to get saved. If they're anybody get saved. gets saved, the it's, Holy spirit's right. got to be instrumental in that. I mean, I um, it would be inconsistent for God to like, make people not be able to believe when they have, yes. when they would want to believe they're going to have free choice. But if you take the mark, you're not no longer eligible. That won't be towards, um, uh, yeah, the second half of the tribulation is when the mark will be forced right. upon people. So, um, yeah, but if they do take the mark at that point, one's heart is so hardened that 
there won't be any change of mind. There won't be any repentance, but um, I think that there will be a great uh, throng of believers as described in Revelation 7 that are going to come into the church. They're going to be um, saved as a result of the, the Jewish preaching of those 144,000. And so um, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think that the idea that God is going to, in his long suffering and in his patience, give people more chances. Like mm-hmm. as a Christian who believes in grace, like how could you not be excited about God giving people more chances? That's when it goes to the every tribe and there's literally angels flying around declaring the gospel. Like why would that be happening if people couldn't respond to it? Exactly. Yes. So, and, but we see that they do. That's just the facts that we see the Gentiles responding. We see the Jews responding. And don't tell me that the Jews who believe in the tribulation haven't heard about Jesus. Mm. Everybody in Israel just about knows who Jesus is and they know what Christianity basically is. Yes. Even if they're not clear 100% on the gospel or how it ties into the Old Testament, they have a basic idea of Christianity. So these people have heard of the basics, yet they've rejected it. Yeah. But they're going to experience a national revival in the tribulation. So that would kind of, in my mind, discount the whole idea that if you had a chance before and you rejected it, you won't be given another chance because the Jewish people are literally going to be given that chance. So anyways, um, we talked about signs in the kingdom offer last time. Now let's move on to discussing the idea of healing in the kingdom directly. And why is it that there's such a connection between these two things? Okay. So we're going to look at some different verses tonight. And, um, this is going to be a little bit more, um, a little bit more broad stroke. So we've been, I've been trying to build a case from dispensationalism, from the kingdom offer, uh, from, you know, certain passages that signs specifically healing were related to the first century and the kingdom gospel. Mm. Um, but now we're going to talk a little bit more about like, what's the, the rationale behind healing in the kingdom. What's the association between the two? You know, cause some people would say, well, healing is just as important now. We need it now too. So why would we have it in the first century and not have it now? Well, of course I do believe that it does happen now. Mm. So I'm not denying the healing doesn't happen. I'm just saying that I don't believe the gift of healing. I don't believe, um, as we talked about this last week, I think, yeah, I think so. uh, there's a difference between pronouncing someone healed and asking God to heal somebody. Right. Um, you know, Scott, sometimes your, your back hurts you. So I don't have the authority to do as the apostles could have done. Right. And say, you are healed. Like, exactly. it's done. Okay. It's settled. Because yeah. I don't have the prophetic gift wherein the Holy Spirit tells me this person is healed. healed. Um, I don't have that. So I can say, you have this issue. God has the power to heal you. And he wants me to intercede on behalf of my brethren. And so I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to pray knowing that God can heal you and that that is consistent with his will because he loves you. But there may be other factors that I'm not aware of. Right. And God may say no. Okay. But I'm still going to ask for it. I'm not going to go into it saying, well, he's going to probably say no. No, I'm going to go into it trusting that God very well could say yes. Like Paul in the three times, right? Yes. So I'm going to trust God. But if he says no, he says no. How do I do with no arms and no legs and how he has the capability to reach all these people he never would have had as a whole person? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, God sometimes has a purpose that we're not aware of until after the fact. Uh, I usually 
don't see it until long after the fact. And mm. I can look back and I can see how God was at work in my life and how if I could go back and change things, if I could take that away, I don't know that I would because so much good came out of it. So it's just the wisdom of God. Uh, but anyways, um, that's what I mean when I say healing is still in the church today, but the gift of healing is distinct. Yes. So why was the gift of healing so prominent back then? Um, so let's look at Revelation 21.4. It says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now this is describing the eternal kingdom. So we're not even talking about the millennium here. We're talking about the final eternal kingdom. This is our home. This is what we're looking forward to. The millennium is going to be wonderful for us. It's going to be a whole lot better than it is now. We're going to have glorified bodies in it, but the final kingdom is portrayed here in chapter 21. There will be no tears. There will be no sorrow, no death, no suffering. So whenever Jesus is preaching and the disciples are preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does it mean when the kingdom of heaven is at hand? A lot of times people would just say, oh, well, it's spiritually at hand. You know, it's so like God is there offering salvation. And if you believe and you're in the kingdom and that's what he's talking about. Right. But we've already looked at how the kingdom is literally being talked about. Mm-hmm. And they would have understood when he talks about the kingdom in Isaiah, when it talks about, you know, the uh, lion eating grass like an ox. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. Yes. I mean, we're talking about a kid sticking his hand in, in the viper's den. Yes. And not being harmed. So they were thinking of the kingdom in all of its physical effects as well. Now, of course, there is some evidence that the Jews of that time, um, they took things a little bit too far in terms of the physical aspect of the kingdom. Um, For example, they looked to their wealth as a sign that God had blessed them, Mm -hmm. that they were righteous. They were wealthy and they were righteous. And those things went together, right? They comforted themselves that I'm rich and I'm blessed because I'm a good person. So sometimes they were overly physical and overly concerned with the material world. And Jesus had a lot to say about that, uh, like the rich man. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so, uh, but the idea is that there's nothing wrong with looking forward to the physical blessings of the kingdom because these are promised to us. Right. All right. The spiritual is more fundamental. You know, there's no way that anybody can get into the kingdom of God unless they have been born again. And, um, long before the kingdom comes, if you want to go to where God is today, where the kingdom is, you know, held up in store in heaven, you're not going to go there unless your spirit is washed. Correct. So if I died today, I don't have my glorified body yet, but I know I'm still going to heaven. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the most fundamental. That's the most important thing that I am with God and I'm spiritually cleaning his eyes. But when it talks about the kingdom of heaven being a hand, it means it's, it's, it's on the cusp. It's right there. Like if the Jews would have accepted it, now, from God's perspective, he knew they weren't going to, but from the human side, it was a genuine offer being made just as God knew that Judas wasn't going to believe, but mm. it was a genuine offer from Judas's perspective. Uh, and so, um, what we have here is God saying the kingdom is here. All right. It's, it's there for you to reach out and touch. And so I'm going to give you a token. I'm going to give you evidence that it's a genuine offer and the kingdom is literally behind door number one. Moses. And all you got to do is open it up. Yeah. Moses being able to see the promised land. Yes. Right. Couldn't go in. It's right there. But it's right there. And God's saying right here, you can go in. Right. Like if you repent nationally, like I'm I'm genuinely offering that to you. Yes. Another thing that comes to mind is in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, 
God created Adam and Eve. Sometimes it's portrayed as they sinned and they lost fellowship yeah. with God. And and when they when they try to wrap their mind around that in terms of salvation, some people think that like Adam and Eve lost their salvation. They did not. Mm. Okay, so let's understand, you know, Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were put in what the reformers, and I agree with them on this, the reformers would refer to them as like in a probationary state. So they were mm. in a state where God gave them much. He gave them a lot. And this was um, a clear sign of even more that he intended to give Mm -hmm. them. He didn't create them with glorified bodies. First Corinthians 15 makes that clear. They had bodies that were free from death, but they weren't sealed in. Okay. They weren't sealed with the Holy Spirit. They weren't born again. Okay. They had not made their choice yet. They were capable of being corrupted. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So they were not in incorruptible bodies. So that means there was something better in store that they hadn't had yet. Right. So whenever the kingdom is being preached as being at hand, just as God gave Adam and Eve a paradise around them. Like, look, this is what you have to look forward to. This is only a taste of what you will one day experience if you obey, right? If you obey the law. And in that case, the law was so simple. Don't eat from right. that tree, right? Right. Of course, we know what the magical did. tree. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk We'll talk about that another time. Yeah. There might be a, a time for that yeah. lesson, but not tonight. Not tonight. Uh, but anyways, uh, the idea is God gave them a token of his favor. He gave them a token of what he intended for them. And so in the first century, when Jesus came, he's like, I'm the king and I'm here to bring you the kingdom. Okay. This is, this is the message of John the Baptist. This is the message of Jesus after John the Baptist was in prison. Yes. And the miracles that were performed by Jesus and by the apostles when they were sent out in Matthew 10, by the way, again, they preached just to the Jews and not to the Gentiles. Correct. When they were sent out, these miracles were meant to let the Jews know, like the kingdom is here. Like it's, it's here for you to reach out and take it's, it's closer than it was before. Like this stuff y'all didn't see before. Mm. Okay. It's happening now. I, I think that the miracles that happen in Jesus time were unique, even compared to the miracle working of earlier time periods. Uh, because, Jesus did so many in three and a half years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of miraculous ministry, I think it's unparalleled right. when you when you look at you know, the biblical accounts. And so he's saying like, this is special. Even with a demon, uh, demons being cast out. Yes. He says, if I am casting these demons out with the spirit of God, it means the kingdom is upon you. Yes. So he's not saying, all right, this is just your ordinary exorcism. You know, yeah, Elijah yeah, yeah. did this stuff. Moses did this. This stuff. is all the signs. Now, like this is like this is a a, a new caliber of ministry yeah. that you're seeing, and it means the kingdom is upon you. Like it's yeah. it's all you do is just accept it. Like John the Baptist, go tell him what you're seeing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it was unique, and it meant that the kingdom was close. Now, of course, the kingdom is not close in the same sense today as it was then. Now, I think that we are close to the kingdom gospel being revived. Okay. After the rapture happens, when I look at all the signs of the times, Matthew 24, we're talking about this on Sundays. I see a lot coming together and I can think, okay, well the rapture could happen today. All right. And, uh, Moses and Elijah could show up in Israel and start preaching and that kingdom gospel be proclaimed. Right. But that's different than what happened in the first century. Jesus wasn't saying, the kingdom offer could be coming soon. It was there. Like, I mean, they, he was preaching it at that time and the miracles were an indication that the ideal conditions of the end times that they had always looked forward to when they thought of the kingdom, that they were within reach. Yeah. 
And so he doesn't heal everybody. Heals a lot of people. But he says, I'm going to go on to the other towns and preach whenever they said, Jesus, like people are waiting for you. They're lined up for you. He's like, no, let's go on to the other towns so that I may preach there because this is what I came out to do. And that's something that I like to point out to a lot of my students that they wonder, well, you know, why didn't Jesus heal more people? Well, Jesus came primarily to preach and the signs that he performed were meant to confirm his preaching. Um, and so don't get the priorities mixed up. Like right. Jesus loved people. He was compassionate to people. If someone came up to him and there was no one to preach to at the time, he, he would still heal them because he loved them. Right. Yes. And it, it was for their benefit, but and uh, for their faith and for their faith. But he told his disciples, yeah, I know there are a lot of people that are waiting for me to go back and preach, but or uh, heal, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going on to the next town so I can preach there. And, um, and, and there were times where he told people like the leper that he healed. Don't go tell anybody. Right. It's interesting that, that, I mean, what he could have done is just killed everybody. You know what I mean? But he didn't, he wanted to make it personal. Yes. Yes. Right? So they, he would actually have that conversation with them. Do you want to be healed? And then heal them like that. I mean, he could have said, okay, everybody's healed. healed. I'm moving on. Yeah. Yeah. You know he I mean? Yeah. You're right. He could have done that. And you know, I think that you hit on something important. Um, every time that he healed, there was always some lesson yeah. that, that was uh, underlying that. And so, uh, Jesus could have healed everybody. And one day everybody believes will be healed right. in the final and fullest sense. But um, now when he heals people, even today, uh, I think that he does it for a couple of reasons. I think that he does it because simply he loves us, but I also think he does it. Like you said, to teach us something, you know, so that our, our faith can grow. Yeah. But at this time in history, he was doing it, not just for their faith, not just for other people's faith, he was doing it to let the people know not only was he the Messiah, but the conditions of the kingdom were right around the corner. Yeah. All they had to do was believe and what this is a foretaste of will become actual. And so in Romans eight, Romans eight, 18, I want to read some verses here um, that talk about what it means to be a son of God. And they tie into this idea of healing. It says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory, which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious Liberty of the children of God. So this is talking about in verse 19, the manifestation of the sons of God. Now believers already are children of God. We already have the foundation laid. Our spirits are washed. We are made clean in the eyes of God. That means we already have the spiritual benefits of salvation, right? I mean, I know that I'm eternally secure that in the eyes of God, like my spirit has been washed and I'm sinless. I'm acceptable. Like if I died right now, there's nothing corrupt that contaminates my spirit. If you want to use that word, you know, to give you, you know, an analogy and I go straight into heaven because I've been, I've been redeemed. But Romans eight tells us that one day the sons of God, when they're manifested, it's going to result in a physical change to ourselves. And of course, to creation around us. And so I think the church age is about, remembering that that hasn't happened yet one day it will right now we're still enjoying 
every day, the spiritual blessings of being sons of God. But a lot of people who, you know, are in the new apostolic reformation or the word of faith movement, it's about claiming all the benefits of the inheritance that we have in Christ. And those benefits do, I will agree with them. They do include healing, but the problem is when will we receive the physical benefits that come with the salvation package? Do we, when all creation is redeemed. So God does certainly intervene and answer prayer and healing does happen, but we can't expect as that mentality, the word of faith theology, we can't expect that we're going to have all of those privileges. Now they think that you can, if you simply have enough faith, if you have enough faith, you can make these things happen. You're basically claiming what is already yours. They would say, they'd say the kingdom's already established and it's kingdom now theology, right? And we can take these blessings and make them ours. If you just have enough faith, you can do it. You can make it happen for other people and for yourself. But Romans 8 is saying, no, Paul's saying we got to wait. And he even says in verse 24, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth. Why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that, we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? So he's saying here, we don't have all this stuff. We don't have all of these blessings of the kingdom yet. Mm. Now we are already sons of God. We're spiritually begotten. We have the spiritual blessings, the foundations laid, the most fundamental things dealt with. We're sealed by the spirit, but we have not yet been manifested as sons of God visibly and physically. We don't have all those privileges yet. And we with patience wait for them. So that's why I think that when we look at this time period and these miracles are happening, it's because they are in a unique period. One, they're receiving new revelation for the Mm. first time. Yeah. All right. Anytime you have new revelation, it's part and parcel of of God's modus operandi that when something new is given, there's some kind of uh, evidence to back it up. Right. Supernatural, like Moses, like I'm a messenger to Pharaoh and God gives them miracles. All right. So that's new revelation. That didn't have to do with the kingdom. That had to do with prophecy. Yep. So when you have prophecy, miracles naturally go along with that. So if we're not having prophecy today, we really shouldn't expect miracles for that reason. Mm -hmm. And the other reason we shouldn't expect miracles is because, again, the kingdom was being offered then. And so the kingdom was closer in a sense than it is today. And because Mm -hmm. the kingdom was closer, you can expect to see manifestations of the kingdom on the physical level in terms of healing, because after all, the kingdom is characterized ultimately by being delivered from suffering and being delivered from death. So what does Jesus do? He saves people from physical disease. He brings people back from the dead. Mm. This is all to let the people know that the kingdom again is at hand. Mm. So if the kingdom isn't at hand today, as it was when Jesus was preaching that message, when the apostles were preaching that message, we shouldn't expect miracles of that sort to be present today, um, apart from, of course, like I've already said, going to God in prayer and seeing things happen. But again, the apostles weren't going to God in prayer mm-hmm. and saying, we hope this person will be healed. Right. They were able to proclaim it. In the name of Jesus. In the name Get of Jesus. It's done. Yeah. And then they weren't like saying, well, we were there to themselves. Like we really, really, really hope that it actually yeah. happens. Like, you know, authority. no, they had that authority. So 
again, that authority reminds us that one day we will have authority over we will have authority over even death. When we have incorruptible bodies, it's like death will be put under our feet because Christ is one day going to have all of the enemies, sin and death, put under his feet, right? And because we are in Christ, they will be put under us too. Mm. And so when the apostles are preaching, they're saying, look, we're sons of God and sons of God one day have this to look forward to. We're going to be resurrected with glorified bodies. Death will be under our feet. And to let you know that death will be under our feet, even the apostles okay, mm. experience miracles of people coming back from the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those sorts of things, again, just remind the people that the kingdom is here and they, they were within reach those uh, ideal conditions of the kingdom. Um, of course, like I said, guys, this is all just um, contingent from the human perspective. It's conditional from the human perspective, from God's perspective. He knew it wasn't going to happen then. Okay. Right. Um, and so there were other reasons too, why God did it. Um, he, I think he did it because, you know, he wanted people to know that his apostles were really his apostles and he wanted people to know in his earthly ministry that he really was God in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't just because the kingdom was close. Um, it was because he had some things to say. He had new revelation to share, uh, to disclose his own identity yeah. and, and for his disciples to be teaching new things that had not been taught. Uh, mysteries were revealed and it was, it was in order. Um, uh, well, where am I looking for? Um, it was fitting and in order to have those miracles corroborate their ministry. It's like he came back to change the direction because they were headed around this wrong path and he came back. I say came back. He came to say, no, you're going in the wrong direction here. Here's the kingdom is at hand. This is the direction I really want you to go in. Mm-hmm. I mean, knowing full well that the Jews wouldn't, but he told them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, okay. And then, well, I mean, he, he knew, he knew that the Jews would reject him. Yes. Like he, he knew that they would be instrumental in, in having him crucified. Mm. He wasn't side blinded by that. Right. And that's why Peter at Pentecost said like, all this was part of God's foreknowledge. Right. Like God knew about this, but um, it doesn't change the fact that as we've said earlier, God's offer, God's, um, the opportunity that he gave them was a genuine one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like you said, he was trying to correct them. He was trying to show them, mm-hmm. you know, the truth. And, uh, he knew that they would, you know, rather believe the lie, but, uh, praise God one day they'll believe the truth. Well, then, then uh, of course the Gentiles, you know, are, we're to make them jealous. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You know yeah. I mean? Romans so 11. Like, yeah. That's part of the plan. It's like, mm-hmm. here, I'm going to tell you, this is what you're supposed to do. You're going to reject me, but I'm going to make you jealous because the Gentiles are the ones who are going to be following by for the most part. Um, and then you'll come back to me. Yeah. And, and that's something that to me, it's so eye opening. Glad you brought that up. Um, when we're talking about the kingdom and we're talking about the Jews and, you know, God's program for them, like for the past 2000 years, the church has been mostly Gentile. Mm -hmm. Like as far as like God's witness among mankind, it's been Gentile. Now, before that, it was the Jewish people. Absolutely. Like from the time of Abraham to the time of Christ, it was the Jewish people. They Mm -hmm. had their ups and they had lots of downs too. But I mean, they were still the ones that had the prophets. Paul says they had the glory. They had the temple. They had the precepts. They had all of that stuff. They had the blood on their hands. Yeah. and, and And later on, they had that too. But in the New Testament, things are, they're shifting. And, and so we now have the Gentiles becoming really prominent. Um, 
And we're losing that prominence today, aren't we? Absolutely. Uh, so, so quickly. T- to me, that's one of the most amazing prophecies mm. is Romans 11. And most people wouldn't even take it as a prophecy mm. uh, that's coming to pass in our day. But we're seeing it. He, he warns. And let me read it. Because that's just one of those that I think if you're listening, you need to hear. Uh, to me, this supports dispensationalism so much. So if you're looking for evidence for it and you're not convinced of what I'm saying, uh, this is an awesome prophecy. Um, but in Romans 11, verse number 18, Paul says, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee, thou wilt say, then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off and thou statest by faith, be not high minded, but fear for if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee behold therefore the goodness and severity of god on them which fell severity but toward thee goodness if thou continue in his goodness otherwise thou shalt also be cut off now a lot of people think that's talking about lost salvation he's talking about ethnic groups he's talking about god's plan for the israelites versus god's plan for the gentiles the jewish people as a whole not individually because obviously paul right has not been cut off right yeah but as a whole the Jewish people are being cut off. It's a, a losing their influence. Yes. They're losing their influence and they're about to be disciplined with the destruction of Jerusalem and the diaspora that will follow. So he's saying that that's going to happen. Um, even though the the kingdom gospel was still being preached for those 40 years during which Paul wrote this letter, Paul, I think was very well aware that things are, are not going to go as mm. you know, one might hope. Right. Uh, the Jewish people are clearly not repenting. It's not a good sign. And, uh, and Paul is saying that that's an indication that we are in this time of the Gentiles and not necessarily always in a negative sense. Right. Time of the Gentiles generally is thought of in a negative sense. And of course, um, as far as the tribulation is concerned, the time of the Gentiles, whenever, uh, you know, they overrun the outer court and, when the abomination of desolation takes place, that's right. very negative, right? I yeah, mean, the, the persecution of the Jewish people in the tribulation, that's terrible. Uh, but there's another aspect to the time of the Gentiles. Gentiles are prominent, as Paul says, because they are responding to the gospel amazingly. Like right. there, there's a ton of people who are leaving paganism happily and they're believing in the God of Israel. Right. Through the preaching of a Jew named Paul yep. and other disciples too, because they were all Jews. And so we see the Gentiles receiving God's favor as a group. Okay. It doesn't yeah. matter, you know, whether you're Roman Gentile or you're Celtic or Germanic, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's as a group, non-Jews are receiving God's favor because mm-hmm. they're responding to the gospel. We in the West, especially, I think, um, because of Christianity and it's spread in Europe and then, oh, you know, across the pond, you know, here in the U S we have seen the influence of Western powers over the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And you wonder why have we been so successful? Sure. I don't deny that we have forced it and we have abused yes. our power innumerable. Yeah. But there's also, I think something to be said by the fact that we have a Christian base. Yeah. We're obviously seeing that eroded 
mm-hmm. quite alarmingly in our time. But uh, that Christian basis, I believe, is part of the reason why God, despite all of our flaws, has put up with us and yeah. displaced us despite it, because we've been able to take our success, you know, as far as technology, you know, and, and industrialism. And we've been able to take the gospel into places. Um, and so God has been using the Gentiles and blessing us so that way we could be a vehicle of light. And, and we had a, and we had a good heritage of that. Yeah. I mean, Western Europe and uh, America, we've had a really good heritage of taking the gospel to the world. Of course, we've cast that off at this point. That is the scary part of this. Right. I like to share this with people. Like, you know, there's a lot of people nowadays that. They talk about America as if we are the God's chosen people. We're not. No. So when you start taking all these promises in the Old Testament, you know, if my people repent and they pray, then I will heal their land. You yeah. know, they take those things and they indiscriminately apply them to America. We're not God's people. Right. However, God has in a way a different sort of covenant with mm-hmm. us that I think is hinted at here in Romans 11. As long as the Gentiles were receptive to the gospel you're going to experience favor when you start to turn away from the god mm. of the gospel you turn away from christ you turn away from the biblical foundations like you could be cut off just like yeah. the jews yes look at what god's own people did like if he cut off his own people because they rejected the messiah then he could certainly do that to you yeah. because you're the wild branches yeah, grafted yeah, 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 yeah. in if you know the the natural branches are cut off, then the wild branches certainly could be cut off. Mm. And so this is one of those passages that I think we're seeing it happen in our day. Um, and, and the time of the Gentiles is running its course, and the time of the Jews is about to be upon us. Mm-hmm. And that's what the tribulation is going to be about. It's the catalyst. Mm. The rapture happens. The the predominantly Gentile church, shoot, gone. Mm-hmm. Okay course messianic jews who believe they're going up too you know the church is going up as an entity but it's predominantly gentile yep. and then it's going to shift it's yep. all going to be about the jews reaching the gentiles they're going to be the vehicle yeah while we've been the vehicle the gentile world has been for the past two thousand years it'll be different in the tribulation and then in the millennium all those nations are going to be going up to jerusalem like we talked about and so uh anyways that is uh an important thing to note when we're discussing the kingdom now um, we could keep going on and we could talk about, uh, the prophets and the apostles. And, um, I want to discuss special revelation a little bit. Um, I'll go ahead and say this and then we'll stop there. But, um, special revelation, God revealing his truth is something that we had in the garden. Like Adam and Eve could walk and talk with God. Mm. And that's something that we, I think at, for me. I look forward to that Mm. as part of the kingdom, just as much as any other aspect. The idea that I'm going to be able to talk to God and ask him questions. He's going to answer back and answer back (laughs) and and have that. Like that's what the apostles and the prophets of the new Testament age were reminding us of. Mm -hmm. They were reminding us that this is always a picture of the kingdom. Um, even before the kingdom offer was made, going back in the Old Testament, mm. you had what? A theocracy. What yeah. was a theocracy? It was a taste of God's kingdom on earth. Yeah. Where was God's throne? The Holy of Holies right there. It's a concrete point. Right. And so they had prophets to remind them of that communion between God and man. One day he's going to set up his tabernacle in even more sense, like our fuller sense mm. than there was then. And so whenever in the first century they are 
hearing new revelation through the apostles and the prophets. Again, that's another sign that the kingdom is at hand. And uh, one day we're going to have all that revelation without, uh, without any exception. You know, today we struggle with questions. We ransack our Bible commentaries. We, we ask questions of the seminary professors. We try to do our research, right? But one day this book that I'm holding in my hand right now, the Bible, um, it will be completely fulfilled mm. and we will be able to talk to the guy who wrote it. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? And so special revelation is also a sign of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. It's a sign of the theocracy that God established with Israel first. And uh, he was offering something even more in the first century. So yeah. uh, we'll talk more about that next time because there's more to be said. But uh, hopefully I made some sense tonight. I'm still recovering from a cold, so I got a tad of brain fog. If you have any questions, always know that you can comment on our podcast. And I'd love to take your questions. God bless you and thank you for listening.